Welcome to NREI's Common Area Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by the award-winning editorial staff at nreionline.com. Let's jump right into this week's podcast. Hello and welcome to the Common Area with your host, David Bodemer. Good afternoon, David. How are you? I am doing well, all things considered. How are you? All things considered. That, that is the statement of the uh, the year, I believe. All things considered. Yeah, doing well here too. I know that you have a great guest on. Can you introduce the guest, please? Yes. Uh, this week we have with us Richard Barkham, who is the chief, a global chief economist and head of America's research with CBRE. Hi, Richard. Hi. Nice to be with you. Thank you for taking some time to, to join us this week. Pleasure. Absolute pleasure. The reason that uh, brought you on was that CBRE does these fantastic, you guys do amazing research all, all the time, but particularly these market outlooks that come out mid-year and end of year. The 2021 one just came out and I was just sitting down with that. So I was wondering if, yeah, just basically to, to, to talk a bit about about that with you. If you could first, just for our listeners who may not be familiar, just give us a quick bio. And then I was curious to hear, just to start with some of like what you thought some of the biggest takeaways are from, from this year's uh, outlook. I'm, as you said, I'm chief economist of CBRE. I have a PhD in economics and I've worked in real estate for 30 odd years. And unlike other economists, maybe I've, I've bought and sold buildings. I've been part of development teams. I, you know, I like to blend the nuts and bolts of real estate with the, the more cerebral economics that, that we do. Pull all of it together that I produce and, and the team here at CBRE produces to, to give people guidance as, as best we can about where mm-hmm. the, the economy and property markets are going. Yeah. So in that context, you know, this report cover, you start with some macro commentary and then it goes into expectation for capital markets and then a breakdown by some of the property sectors what are some of the things that are that kind of jump are jumping out at you right now oh i mean there are many things but i think we see the most important of course i think we see a recovery in the economy in 2021 certainly after q1 the arrival of the vaccine will allow the economy to reopen and of course you've got more stimulus coming uh, and in fact, really, a good recovery has been underway since Q3. We think it'll probably slow in Q4 and Q1, but then bounce back into approximately 4.5% GDP growth in 2021. So not a bad outlook uh, for the economy, given the arrival of the vaccine. That That is the thing we've been waiting for, I think, for to try to have some some vision of, of what the other side of this might look like. So it sounds like just based on what we understand with with what Pfizer said, with what Moderna said, with some of these other trials that are happening, this is this is like the, the, the timeline that you think is how the, how the economy will recover from it. Yeah, I mean, I think we will see um, vaccines approved uh, for use in December. And we will we'll see them rolled out fully in Q1 and Q2, starting with health workers, then with people with uh, health complaints, then young people and, 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 and students who need to go to university. And then by around the end of June, the rest of the US population. So we're anticipating 100% or near to vaccination in Q1 and Q2 next year. And of course, uh, along with that will come a, reop- a reopening of those parts of the... I mean, I'm not, the, the, the economy has already reopened, but parts of it are closed. 
Uh, mass transit is a bit is not very highly utilized. People haven't gone back to the office, but we see those kicking in after Q2 next year. And I should say a, 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 fuller, re, a fuller reopening of the economy uh, at that time. You did mention stimulus. I'm curious what, I mean, you know, just given that we don't know the outcome of this Georgia Senate race, how much does that, because uh, it seems to be like that, that could affect that, you know, the aggressiveness of the stimulus, whether we have a Republican control of Senate versus Democratic in terms of what the stimulus might look, might look like. How much does that affect your your outlook? How do you how do you kind of adjust for that variable? I mean, it affects it quite a lot. Obviously, if you'd had a blue wave, uh, as they call it, the the election, you might have seen a stimulus of of three three and a half trillion dollars. But you have uh, Senate Republicans probably talking more about 500 million, really, partly because they see the recovery in the economy and, and they think maybe that, that we don't need that stimulus. You know, on the working assumption that, that Joe Biden will be in the White House and the, the Republicans will retain control of the Senate, we think that there will be a stimulus of around $1 trillion. Around $1 trillion. Mm-hmm. $1 trillion, yeah. And that will arrive uh, in Q1. And I think it will be just enough, you know, it'll be focused on extending generous unemployment benefits and creating other business support. And I think, I think it will be enough to see the economy through what I think will be a slowdown in Q4 and Q1 into a fuller revival in, in Q2. Given that as like our, dra- our, our backdrop, this year has been a... S- the story of how COVID has affected the various property types is something that, you know, we've been covering. And I think a lot of people, it's, it's not a big secret, you know, retail's been hurt. Hotels been really hurt. Office has been kind of question, you know, questionable in terms of contingent on what this return to the office, the pace of return to office, the blend of, of how people are going to come back. Industrial has been great. Some of these alternative center, se- sectors like data centers and self-storage are holding up. Given that kind of like experience of 2021, once we hit this, hit this turn and get through the vaccine and the economic recovery, how does that affect the pace of recovery in these various sectors? And I know that's a, a lot to throw at you all at once. Well, let's kick off with industrial. That's been the sector. We were perhaps a little bit pessimistic on that. We thought industrial would come back after one year. In fact, really, industrial hardly broke step over the course of the crisis. And part of the reason for that, in fact, the main reason for that is the the nature of the recovery, which has been based on consumer spending. So in the United States, we have, uh, oddly enough, retail sales higher now than they were pre-COVID. Yeah, that's incredible. It's incredible. And, and the reason is that, you know, the, the targeted income support put in by the government, extensive and generous unemployment benefits, and also the fact that in the, the, the higher paying jobs, the, the service sector of the economy, there hasn't been a big hit to employment. Curiously enough, consumer incomes grew in Q2 and Q3. Anyway, it's fed through into retail sales and it's fed through into, in, you know, demand by distributors. 3PLs, third-party logistics operators, continued demand for industrial assets. And really, investors too, you know, uh, there's plenty of capital out there. Investors not very, a bit cautious about deploying in office and retail, 
but continued to be focused up on industrial and multifamily. And so investment demand, occupier demand, still pretty robust in industrial. And we see that continuing in, in 2021, somewhere between 250 and 300 million square feet of absorption of industrial is expected in, in 2021. We may see, uh, curiously enough, having said all of that about e-commerce and, the, and the, the growth of e-commerce over the crisis, we may see something of a revival in physical retail next year, post-COVID, post-vaccine. You know, consumers want to get back and get out and get into the experience economy. You know, we might see a little bit of, uh, of weakening, weakening in e-commerce growth in 2021 and some of that coming back into physical retail, which is an upside to, to watch out for. You know, that's dealing with two sectors. We, we get think pieces on, we get pitches, we talk to people, but just trying to gauge how much there is a permanent rethinking of what office life might be like versus what is cyclical or, you know, not cyclical, but, but just forced by, by, by COVID. Like you know, the, there was a talk of, I mean, I feel like that we've, we've gone through even waves within this past eight or nine months. And at first everyone was like, working from home is completely fine and like we don't need offices at all anymore and then as some of the fatigue of working from home and some challenge and some productivity of that maybe changed and people got tired of it then there's more talk about like you know we do need to get back to the office but i just feel like there's a lot like there's a tendency to over to, for people to be, to be overblowing it all the time as you're looking at it and talking to people and what is the actual, do we have a more clarity in what the, the actual return to the office scenario is going to look like? Yeah. I mean, I think in terms of the return to the office, let's deal with that first. The, the trajectory of the vaccinations that I gave earlier, namely that we'll have a hundred percent vaccination by Q2 next year gives us a little bit more ability to work around what the return to office will be. Currently, offices are probably between 17 and 20% in operation or, or, or utilization. That might creep up a little bit in Q1 and Q2, but I think the real return to the office is probably post-Q2 next year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we see office utilization being maybe between 50 and 80 or 60 and 90% by the end of 2021. We won't have, even at the end of 2021, I don't think we'll have a full return to the office. We will be managing this return to the office because at least initially, despite the vaccine, people will still have to social distance. And I think there's a you know, bigger concern about uh, wellness and, and just being very cautious. So we will be managing this return to the office well into 2022. And I think, you know, we don't, we see some recovery in leasing in 2021, but I don't think you'll get a full recovery in leasing until people are fully back into the office. I was going to ask about too, just the amount of sub sublease space that I think we've seen in the numbers around, you know, how much of that is floating around and what does that say about occupiers, long-term strategies for, 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 for the sector? There is a lot of sublease space coming onto the market and it has, I don't think you can deduce anything much about the long term just from that. Okay. You know, the fact is that the economy this year will end up 4% smaller than it was last year. And probably by the end of 21, it'll still be 2% smaller. So the whole economy is smaller and companies have to adjust to that. You know, they, they, they had expected the economy to be bigger, but it's turned out smaller. So they have to adjust their platforms and their staffing and all of that stuff. 
that's just normal that we mm-hmm. would see that in any hit to the economy. In addition, I think it would be fair to say that many of the, particularly in the tech industry, very, very bullish prior to COVID-19, you know, probably overexpanded. So some of that space that's coming back on to the market, I think is, is probably you know, the result of overexpansion. It's not a COVID effect. It's, it's, a, it's a cyclical hit. And I think, you know, we may even see some of that space, you know, as, as things recover at the end of 2021, that may come back off the market as, as, you know, tech firms. I don't think anybody would suggest that the tech sector is anything other than robustly healthy at the moment. And we might end up seeing some of that, you know, taken back off the market. So I think that we can't read anything into the sublease space. Nevertheless, what, what we can, the longer term issue is just, and it was taking place prior to COVID-19, it's just this trend towards remote working, which has been facilitated by Zoom technology or, or meeting technology. And we have to think through what that means for, well, I think the acceleration of, of remote working. You know, I think we will see companies moving away from the, the model where People have fixed five-day-a-week office spaces, uh, uh, workstations. In fact, we've already seen that. And we'll be moving, the office will be moving to more collaborative teamwork space and activity space. The workforce will be, we could call, people call it working from home, but it isn't really that. It's remote working. It's working for several locations. They could be suburban hubs, work locations, uh, you know, uh, when you're on the road. And I think offices will have to respond to that. But I think the majority of people will, will return to the office. I mean, I think something like 50 to 60 million Americans work in offices full time. There's, 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 the estimates vary, but 9 billion square feet of offices. I think our estimates are that possibly when all of this has worked out, and it is a very preliminary estimate, if, if office employment stays exactly the same, which it won't, but if, if office employment stayed exactly the same for the next five years, then we might lose something between 10 and 15% usage of office space because of remote working. Uh, but you've got to be very careful with that because yeah. that's a very, very bald estimate. And you've got to say that probably some, there will be some offset from companies de-densifying, right. so, so more space for worker. But more importantly... And let me just finish this final point. The office using employment won't, won't stay the same. There will, you know, office using employment outpaces total employment. So over the next five years, we, you know, demand will build back up again because you just continue to get growth in, in the population of office, office using workers. As we move through, you've got all sorts of effects going on. You've got more remote working, perhaps depressing the overall level of demand for office, but you've got more office workers increasing the demand. And we've probably got some medium-term reduction in demand for office, but towards the end of the uh, five-year period, that will be picking up again. And of course, I, I suspect that the one of the legacies of the crisis will be that development of offices slows up for a while. We may well end up in two to three years actually with a shortage of, of really good quality space, which will kick off the next office cycle. And then what about the dynamic of 
people relocating to you know from 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 this this idea of people moving from cities to suburbs or moving from higher cost markets to lower cost markets and the implications of that on there's there's implications of that for, for I guess for you know for every property type if does that mean office outlook and 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 mark in in some of these secondary markets being being different than New York and what is that mean? in multifamily et cetera, et cetera. I mean, it seems pretty clear once you start talking about people relocate, you know, density, people relocating from, from cities into suburbs or to lower cost markets, that's going to have implications of occupancy of all types. Right. So how does that kind of, is that, again, is that something that's real overblown and how does that factor into your outlooks for, for these sectors? Again, you've got to take into account it, it's real and it pre-existed COVID you know the the american housing market is on fire right now with with kind of you know single family homes i i, I think people might be over interpreting uh, interpreting that as as people moving from you know big cities to suburbs i think it's probably just as much a, a consequence of super low mortgage rates mm-hmm. but you have had a, a migration over the you know building up over the last two or three years as the as the you know the expensive coastal cities have have got more and more expensive, places like New York uh, and San Francisco, well, people have been moving out to uh, lower cost, high amenity cities. Many of them are in the south and the east, the kind of sunbelt cities. That trend pre-existed COVID. It, it may be slightly accelerated by COVID, with with folks realizing that you know certain types of work can be done remotely. And, you know, the, the coastal cities, I think, they depend a little bit on international migration to maintain their populations. How that plays out over the next three or four years will be interesting to watch. But you've got to re- remember that, I mean, cities have got 2,000 years of kind of, of history behind them. Um, they remain magnets for talent. And I think once, once rents come down in, in the big cities, towards the middle and end of, of, of next year, you know, people begin to see, you know, some good deals on space, both residential mm-hmm. space uh, and office space. Uh, and cities beginning to spring back into life with all of the great things that they offer, the entertainment, you know, the choice, the, the, the food and kind of beverage offer. My guess is that some of that, that migration out of cities will, will, will move straight back in because it, it, it's not a COVID thing, it's a pricing thing. And we've got, you know, we've got a new kind of new generation coming up, Gen Z. As, as they creep into the labor force, I'm, I'm pretty certain they won't want, want to just kind of sit at home, uh, you know, get their new jobs and sit at home. I, you know, I think the outlook for the, the big cities is, is, you know, it's just as robust as it always was, albeit maybe with a hiccup for the next 24 months. Well, that sounds, I mean, that sounds good to me. I live in Brooklyn and I've, it's been kind of maddening to me to hear all the cities dying and the city is dead. And it's like, I mean, I, you know, I really enjoy city living and, yeah. and I really miss, yeah, like you said, I mean, there's so much of it that I miss being places that I miss going or things that I miss doing and having little glimpses of it here or there has just made me miss it more. So I'm really looking forward to taking advantage of living in New York city again, once, once, uh, once we can. And I, and I just add to that, I've got some friends who are actors, and I know this is a trivial point, you know, when you're in the middle of a crisis, but there are many in the creative community who are saying that living downtown is, is now open to them again. 
mm-hmm. where it hasn't been. They've been priced out of that market for the last 10 years or so. You might find that the, the city comes alive and, and it's the creative classes that move first to, to get the best deals on space. So, you know, and that bodes well for yeah, it just the you know the, the sort of uh, life that you're talking about the the kind of brilliantly creative and interest ever ever interesting kind of urban environment that the big cities offer. Yeah, for sure. I mean, definitely, it seemed like to be honest. Yeah, leading up to this crisis, New York was you know some of these uh, strips of streets in Brooklyn that were the hearts of like these kind of sub neighborhoods. We were losing some of of the character because you know there was a lot of aggressiveness around around retail rents and it was driving some things out of business and now i'm hoping that like you know again this has been a hard period because there hasn't been enough of the stimulus or aid to to get some of these businesses through so we're losing them that way but my hope is that we come out of this and we see some of these corridors flourish with new concepts and some of that local flavor then could complement the 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 big national retailers that we still have and need and there's desire for but just kind of balance of and 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 getting some of that feel again so i don't know i'm hoping i'm not being too optimistic about about that happening there'll be a hiccup there is a hiccup and you know people don't want to pay those high central area rents you know when urban amenities don't exist it just doesn't kind of make sense but as soon as we're through this crisis i think two things happen one is the, as we said, the kind of the, the fundamental of interest of, of, of kind of urban life is a magnet for talent. I think that's our view. So talent will continue to flock to downtown areas, but also mass transit will open up again. And, you know, maybe slow at first, maybe it'll need a push and a nudge from government. But as mass transit utilisation nudges up again, then over the course of next year, the big cities will come back to life. As an investor then in in real estate now, how do you take all of this and figure out what you should be doing, whether it's the time to, I mean, and assuming that you have some discretion around whether you can be buying or selling and and you're not, you know, in a distressed situation. If If you're a real estate investor, or someone that's interested in, in, in investing in commercial real estate in the next 12 months, how do you kind of take all of this and, and, and put it together? I, we, I think we know that there's some disconnect between your reports that there's regular reports that, that, that CBRE puts out about like some of the disconnect on valuations or the, the tension between people, you know, the discount that, that sellers are looking for, I'm sorry, the discount that buyers are looking for versus what sellers are willing to grant. But even aside from that, just in general, if you're looking at commercial real estate right now, we now know some of the, you know, we, 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 we can look at this outlook. What do you think, what do you think people should be, should be thinking about doing in the next six, 12 months? Just, just to, you know, I, it's a small point, just at the beginning, I'm not an investor myself. I'm an advisor. I have one house in the UK we're beginning to see some activity in, in, you know, trades are going on. You know, there are some buyer groups out there that are willing to, to trade despite the, the limitations on travel. And those, those, those trades, I think, will be focused in on good class assets with single tenants, you know, probably um, net lease type properties or where you've got good covenants and, and long income streams. They're, 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 you know, they're, those assets remain popular. 
More generally, I think at the moment, investors are most confident to deploy capital in the industrial sector, as I originally said, but also the multifamily sector. Uh, the multifamily sector has, has weathered the, the crisis much better than people expected, partly because of income support by government. If I were looking at a contracyclical trade, looking at all of the capital that's going into industrial, I would might, uh, and, and the very rock solid fundamentals there, I might want to be saying, well, maybe it's a time to sell industrial. Maybe it's a time to sell industrial and, and maybe invest in office and you know, take a, a little bit of a risk on the revival of the office sector. It, 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 and it would be a risk because um, we don't quite know when it's coming back. Uh, we think uh, 2021, but you know, it'll spill into 2022. You know, some aggressive investors uh, might want to be you know, thinking about that. So uh, the, the multifamily sector, if you look at the demographics behind it, 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 you know, it, it may be that certain of the, the big cities at the moment are struggling with high vacancy rates because people are moving out. Fundamentally, as I've said earlier, the, the attractiveness of the big cities uh, remains in place. It, it may be that investors will want to look there as well. But we do see, as you suggested in our kind of survey work, at the moment in the office sector, there is a little bit of a bid-ask spread. Mm -hmm. If trades take place, that will need a little bit of compromise on, on both the seller and the buyer side. You know, it might need uh, buyers to improve their, their kind of bidding and, and sellers to you know, take a little bit of a price adjustment. That would be true, I think, of suburban and uh, CBD offices. We don't see, you know, we actually see in the industrial sector, bidders still prepared to, to bid prices up, actually. Probably, probably even quite nicely balanced in the multifamily sector. And probably we'd see some pricing adjustment needed in retail. As I say, retail has got the COVID hit to deal with, but it's also got the, the consumer boom that's going on right now. And we might just see a, an earlier revival in, in physical retail next year than people actually think. So I would be looking at retail assets as well and seeing if there were some advantageous pricing there in certain assets that might just do well in a highly experience-led consumer revival. I mean, you know, it's, a, it's going back a long, a long way, and I think not everybody will, 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 will resonate with this, but if you look at the 1920s, after the great pandemic in 18 and 19, after the Great War, you know, there was a decade of consumerism there. I think there will be a powerful, we'd call it in the stock market, a relief rally. Right. Uh, but a, a powerful surge of relief retail spending um, when we come out of this crisis. And what about, uh, I don't think we touched on the, the hotel sector. I mean, it would seem like that might have a, a longer, I think I think your forecast calls for for a bit longer to recover, but... Again, once we're through this, there does seem like there's some opportunity for pickup and travel. I think your report also pointed out that there are some parts of the hotel industry that, that, are, that are actually even doing surprisingly good right now, particularly in driving destination markets like Virginia Beach or places where people have been able to just, you know, just makes a lot of sense. You can't fly or you're reluctant to fly or you can't, you know, f finding ways if you're going to do vacation, drive to markets would make a lot of sense. Therefore, those markets have done well. But like just in general, the hotel sector. It's quite interesting to look at China with regard to this. 
you know, because China was first in, uh, had a trajectory with, with hotel occupancy falling to about 20%. China is back now to about 70% hotel occupancy. When business travel comes back, and I don't think business that will be very strongly in 2021, but when business travel comes back from, from 21 onwards, then I think we see the full, the full recovery in the, in, in the hotel sector taking place over 2022 20, and 20, you know, not being fully complete till 2023. So it's a, it's a long way back, I think, for, for the hotel sector. But as you say, there are the parts of the sector that the high-end sector that, that caters for business travel in downtown CBDs, very badly hit. But the parts of the sector that, that cater for domestic holidays and, and are, are drivable from the big population centers, doing extremely well. And we think that will continue into 2021. Do you have any thoughts when we might have some in-person uh, event conferences again? <laughs> well, that is the interesting, you know, very big, big sector really in, in the United States. It would be hard, I think, to see that coming back much before autumn of 2021. But we, I think we will see some recovery in the conference. And indeed, the urge for people to congregate and meet friends and exchange ideas and take stock, I think it will be extremely strong when, we, when, when, the, when the brakes come off. Given the uncertainties and the, the need to plan these things in advance, that's probably more a full recovery in 2022. I mean, this industry loves getting together, so it's gonna. I think it's gonna be quite interesting when, when it when we are able to again. <laughs> As a a Brit living in America, I think it's not just this industry. It's a feature of American life that I don't think people talk about very much. Whenever I go to a conference in a hotel, there are kind of five other conferences going on in yeah. industries that I've never heard of. Yeah, there are big big conferences. It's a, this sector inclination to get together in big conferences is a, it's a, it's, it's a unique feature of American life. And it, it, it'll come back pretty strongly, but not, not till 2022. Yeah. Well, that still seems, I don't know, there, there, before we got some of this vaccine news, I think there was some talk of like, you know, worst case scenarios of it being a multi, multi-year thing. So even the fact that we're talking about tail end of 2021 for a lot of things to be resume, resuming to normal and then 2022 for even more feels like pretty, I mean, it's hard to say, you know, we're obviously we're in a very hard moment right now, we know, but it, I feel a little more hopeful that we're like looking at actually a light at the end of the tunnel, not just speculating, but like actually feeling pretty good about it. Yeah, no, I think that's exactly right. I think we feel that we're probably just about to go into the dark before the dawn. Yeah. A quarter four where the news flow is not very good and a quarter one when it's not that much better. We don't think the economy will slip back into a recession because, you know, the power of consumer spending is pretty strong and that stimulus will come along in Q1. But I think thereafter, with about 4.5% to 5.5% growth uh, in 2021, an increasingly strong real estate recovery, albeit lagged in certain sectors more than others, then I think we might be surprised on the upside by the time we get to the end of 2021, just about just how powerful the recovery is. All right. Well, I've used up a lot of your time, so I appreciate that you answered all our questions and gave us such a great in-depth 
explanation of, all, of, of, of so much that was in the report. I think the report can just be found on CBRE.com if they just look for the uh, CBRE um, uh, Market Outlook 2021. There we go. So if yeah, folks want to download that, they can go there. So again, thank you for, for thank you for your time. My pleasure. David, this is a fantastic podcast. Uh, Richard, thank you so much for being here. I always learn so much when David brings guests on. And uh, I just sat back and thoroughly enjoyed your views. And, and there was actually some positive news out of this. So I really appreciate that. That's what, we for- that's what forecasting is all about. It's about not looking at the next quarter. It's about looking at the next four and eight quarters. That's what we try to do. We try to be balanced, but just follow and logical. There will be a bright light at the end of this tunnel. Absolutely. And, it, and, it's, and it's, it's coming into view as well. Fantastic. Again, Richard, thank you so much for being on the show today. I'm off to see some prime ministers. All right. I wish me luck. <laughs> yeah, have a good time. And David, thank you so much for bringing him on the show. And of course, the last thank you goes to the listening audience. Thank you for tuning in and listening to the Commentary Podcast with David Bodemer. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when David comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it much easier to share these podcasts with your colleagues. Again, thanks for listening today. For everyone at NREI, this is Eric Johnson inviting you back in two weeks for all the stories that matter to you. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to the Common Area Podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of NREI or Informa. The content has been made available for information and educational purposes only.